Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. Sunday morning, time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, we have to welcome back um, Evan Golke from Oka Landscapes. Good morning, Evan. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, everybody. <sighs> Long time no see. It has been a while. Yeah. Yes. Christmas has been and gone. I know. I know. But what a fantastic summer it's been. I don't know Look, how you incredible. found it. Yep. Yeah, it's yep. been really good. We've had a little bit of rain here and there and uh, just enough to keep things ticking over. But it's been so cool. We, we've had warm nights, but we haven't had those extreme days. We, I think we had maybe one. Mm. And then there was no backup to mm. it. Exactly. So the, the soil stayed really nice and warm and we haven't had those super hot days. Uh, so, yeah, it's just been a terrific growing year. Mm. Really, really good. Um, My only little grizzle is that I know we've had sprinkles of rain here and there, but um, certainly out my way, we just haven't nearly had enough. It's really, really dry. Is it? Yes. Yeah, I guess the last three weeks or so, it's really dried out quite a lot. Mm. But uh, prior to that, yeah, we were certainly where I am, we were getting, you know, 10 mils here, 10 mils there. Okay, um, that's pretty is, good. Yeah, which has actually been pretty good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, we're really happy with it. And, you know, planting landscapes this time of year can be a little bit a little bit nerve-wracking. But, um, I mean, the soil's still warm, and, mm. and so it's it's really a good planting time, isn't it? Oh, it's a terrific planting time now yep. for planting trees now and that sort of thing. It's terrific. But we planted some landscapes in January, uh, you know, and that's always a bit nerve-wracking mm. because if you get some, you know, you get four high 30 days oh. in a row or something like that, then things can get burnt. And wind too. We've had a, f- mm. a fair amount of wind, actually. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, so it's been, yeah, I mean, I think it's been a really good summer from my point of view. Um, just Although insects have been pretty full on. Um, <laughs> we had people over last night and, and uh, there was just a, a sea of white fly around. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anyone else, it would be interesting to know, other listeners, whether or not they've had a lot of white fly this year. But we have had the most extraordinary amount of white fly. <laughs> It literally is. You can see them, especially in the late sun, late sun when it's low, and they just reflect, mm. and they're like drizzle. <laughs> they're just <laughs> everywhere. Oh dear! Yeah. So. <laughs> of course, once we get some cooler weather, they'll be gone. But um, mm. in the meantime, yes, they're a real pest. They are. Yeah. What What I'm trying to deal mm. with at the moment, and I gather it's very widespread. I've been. I've heard it discussed even on the ABC. Um, is uh, European wasps? Oh. Mm. Massive problems with them at the moment. Yes, yes. I was talking to a um, my old soils lecturer actually because he does um, some of my tender doc- tender documentation for soils, and uh, he's in Kyneton and he grows grapes, and uh, he was saying that it was shaping up to be a bad year for wasps. Mm. Uh, and two years ago, he lost four hundred kilos of grapes. To European wasps. Really? Which I had no idea that they would be such a, a no. pest of a vineyard. No, I didn't think that either. Yeah, so it was essentially his whole crop, because he's only a small producer. Yeah. It was essentially his whole crop. 
So this year they have been going around, you know, the neighbours as well as their place, looking for any potential nests or growing nests or right. uh, anything that it, that it, that might cause a problem because they breed up so quickly. Mm. And it's been pretty dry across that side of the divide. So, uh, you know, it's it's they've bred up really well. It's been great conditions for them. So he was very concerned. So, And that was about three or four weeks ago, so I'm not sure what the result yeah. has been. But I know we've just started getting them at our place. Okay. Uh, but, you know, I was in a nursery during the a uh, couple of weeks ago out in Warrandyte. And uh, there's a cafe there, and you just couldn't <laughs> stop waving your hands around for, oh. the, for the wasps. Which is probably the worst thing to do because it makes them angrier. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but yeah. I, I heard that if you don't find a nest um, before winter sets in, by next spring, each nest will produce 20 queens approximately. Now, that's horrendous. Wow. That really is. So they then go off and make they their own nests. They then go off and make their own nests. Right. So, so that's how quickly the whole thing escalates. Mm. Yeah. So we've got a lot of them in the garden mm. at the moment, but I've been searching high and low to find the nest. And they're not, you know, <laughs> talk about trying to track them. I've even left out a bit of food to see where they're coming from or where they then go back to. Mm. Can't find them, but of course mm. they can actually be a reasonable distance away. That's right. It may not be in your property. No, no, or mm. it might be down the creek at the bottom of the property. Mm. You know, mm. so um, yes, at the moment I'm I can't find the nests. No, no, it could it could be quite a long way away. And exactly. You just can't locate it. Yep, mm. yep. We should say a good morning to Jan Tamerlan. Good morning, Jan. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, listeners. How how are you today? Now you're often the the voice behind um, people phoning in, but I thought it was a good chance for uh, listeners to um, to get to meet you a little bit more this morning. Yes, yeah. thanks, Pam. Yes, actually, just talking about European wasps. My um, niece got married on Friday down by the Fairfield Boathouse. It was a beautiful day, and one of the bridesmaids got bitten. Oh, by, really? Um, one of the wasps. But she was very calm, very um, yes, didn't yell, didn't do anything, and um, yes, but because carrying the flowers as well, you oh. see. Of course. So they were hovering oh. around. Yes. Yes, but luckily there wasn't too many of them around. But yes, it was, um, yeah, a bit unfortunate for her. But uh, yeah. But I've noticed them certainly at home as well. And um, just putting out, taking compost out to the bin, like I've put the bin outside the like the door, and they'll just, a couple of them will come and hover around. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so I'll have to look for the nests as well. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, I might get to a few community announcements and uh, we have got a few things on, so um, bear with me. And, of course, we always uh, try to encourage listeners to have a paper and pen handy um, in, so that you can jot down any uh, anything uh, that you are interested in going to. Now, firstly, I've been mentioning for the last couple of weeks that uh, down at uh, Cranbourne Botanic Gardens, they have a talk coming up this afternoon. Now, um, because this talk is uh, simply entry uh, by donation, I'm assuming that it's not too late to um, head along to this one if you are very interested in the topic. Now, it should be really fascinating. Uh, Dr Nushka Rita... Uh, now, she's from the Royal Botanic Gardens, Cranbourne, and she's giving a talk about their new partnership with the Australian Network for Plant Conservation and the establishment of the Orchid Conservation Centre for Rare and Threatened Orchids. Now, her research laboratory was relocated from Horsham to Cranbourne Botanic Gardens, um, 
uh, and uh, donations by individuals and community groups have enabled the purchase of equipment for the conservation centre down there. Now, this is a groundbreaking uh, program. It's responsible for the propagation and reintroduction of some of southeastern Australia's most threatened orchids. Now, Nushka and her group have been perfecting very specialised propagation techniques for federally endangered orchids. Now, the talk is going to be at two o'clock this afternoon. Uh, as I said, down at uh, Australian Gardens Arboreum, Arbor, sorry, Auditorium. Arbor. <laughs> <laughs> auditorium might help. Uh, down there at Cranburn. Uh, and as I mentioned, the entry to the talk is by donation. If you'd like any last-minute information, you can phone 8774-2483. But that's 2 o'clock this afternoon down at Cranburn in the auditorium there. Now, also on today uh, is uh, an open day. It was running yesterday and again today down at um, the Tibetan Buddhist Centre, which is at 1425 Mickleham Road in Uroke. Uh, now, this is um, an open day for their rose garden. Uh, now, the society have got a huge rose garden there. Um, so there'll be uh, lots of happenings there today. Uh, Devonshire teas with freshly baked scones, cream and homemade strawberry jam. Uh, there'll be uh, a brunch of soup and savoury scones. Free garden tours and organic, sustainable, water-wise gardening tips Tours of the traditional Tibetan temple there. Uh, some uh, there'll be secondhand bookstalls and other books, gifts from the enjoyment shop, and free meditation centres. Now entry is five dollars. There is a family rate of ten dollars, which is parents plus school age children or younger. And uh, as I mentioned, um, that's all happening at one four two five Mickleham Road uh, in Uroke. <coughs> And uh, the time of it is 10 o'clock this morning, running through until 4 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, now, Preston Garden Club have got their autumn garden sale coming up uh, next Saturday, March 28th. This will be held at the Preston City Hall, which is on the corner of Gower and High Streets in Preston. 2 o'clock through till 6.30. It's a free entry for this one. And uh, as part of their garden show, they've also got uh, the Metropolitan Dahlia Championship. So obviously there's going to be plenty of displays of dahlias, cut flowers, container plants, roses, floral art, vegetables and cooking. So that's next Saturday, 2 o'clock through till 6.30 at Preston City Hall. Now next weekend running both Saturday and Sunday again down at the Royal Botanic Gardens in Cranbourne. They have their uh, plant sale on, 10 till 4 on both days. They'll have a wide range of Australian plants in tubes and larger pots, uh, priced from $3 onwards. And uh, let me see. So, yes, um, go down for the plant sale, but by all means then, because of free entry these days to Cranbourne Botanic Gardens, it gives you a wonderful opportunity to have a wander around the Australian garden there and see uh, how much it's developing with all the uh, the growth that's taken place since uh, its inception. So that would be a good day out for anybody. Uh, also coming up, now these are 
especially for the diary. Um, but uh, April is not too far away. Firstly, an advance notice that uh, the um, <coughs> Victorian branch of AGHS uh, is having a autumn lecture. This will be. This is all about uh, botanic gardens and the relevance in our community. Now, Elizabeth Gilfillian will be presenting the autumn lecture uh, on Wednesday, sixteenth of April, six p.m. at Mueller Hall at the Herbarium, Birdwood Avenue in South Yarra. Now, the lecture will commence at six thirty. So, uh, as I said, uh, that's taking place Wednesday, sixteenth of <coughs> April. And uh, from 6 o'clock, but the lecture commencing at 6.30, all about botanical gardens and the relevance in our community. Now, uh, just two more that I should mention this morning. Uh, firstly, another, another advance notice of um, the big uh, all-day workshop that's going to take place on Saturday the 18th of April down at Cranburn again. They're being very active at the moment. Now, this is a eucalyptus and close allies workshop. Now, uh, it's all about uh, um, uh, eucalypts, obviously, but also their close allies. It's a very, very full program starting at 10 o'clock in the morning. Well, from 9.30, um, tea and coffee and a display of plants, but the actual uh, lectures and talks will start at 10, running right through until about 430 and uh, some of the topics they'll be covering will be history, evolution, current status, um, eucalyptus biography and ecology, uh, eucalypts as design forms, that's with Paul Thompson, um, urban cultivation of eucalypts, eucalypts as street trees, oils, timber, honey, dyes, art and more, which would be interesting. And, uh, of course, there'll be a question and answer panel and a walk among the Australian garden eucalypts. Now, um, two other presenters which uh, will be very good to listen to are firstly Dr Dean Nicole, who's the creator of the famous Currency Creek Arboretum in southeastern South Australia and one of the world's leading eucalyptus uh, specialists and also Dr Frank Udovici, who's manager plant sciences and biodiversity at the National Herbarium of Victoria at the Royal Botanic Gardens in Melbourne. And, of course, I mentioned before, uh, landscape designer Paul Thompson also as part of that. Now, as I mentioned, the day starts at 9.30. We'll run through until 4.30. Now, you do have to BYO your lunch, although if you wish, you can um, order that from the cafe down there at the start of the day and they will deliver it to you at the lunch break. Cost for the day is $75.00. Bookings, of course, are essential and they do close at the, on the 10th of April, which is why I'm mentioning it now. Uh, so you do have to get in if you want to take part in this uh, wonderful day. And for information or to have a booking form sent out to you, again, that same number, 8774-2483. And finally, I'd like to mention um, a very special cider-making workshop that's going to be coming up on April the 19th. Now, uh, <clears throat> this has got, again, a very extensive program with a couple of uh, very um, interesting uh, speakers. Firstly, uh, Peter George uh, is a former research chemist and he started making cider um, 
to utilise backyard apple trees. Now, Peter specialises in small batches of cider uh, made with a juicer and a few basic items sourced from his local brewery shop. And the other presenter is Keith Robertson, who's devoted decades to collecting and studying and honing his cider-making methods over many years. And he'll be using um, equipment that allows him to process larger quantities. Um, And not only does he make ciders, he makes fruit wines and liqueurs as well. So uh, the day is going to... um, not only uh, talk about uh, about making ciders, but also um, there'll be lunch provided, which will be an apple-inspired lunch. What else could it be? Um, there's going to be cider tasting. Uh, as I say, there's going to be demonstrations, uh, making cider in the shed. They have um, an old uh, patent Keystone white wine and cider mill, uh, which is at least a century old, and they're going to be using that during the day, uh, which would be fantastic. Tea and coffee on arrival and printed notes will be given out for that. Now, the fee is $190, um, but uh, it also includes an orchard walk, uh, so dress for the weather, and as I say, that includes lunch as well. Now, if you want to find out more, it all takes place um, at Beaufort, which is up near Ballarat, and uh, to find out more or to book, go to the website, which is uh, lifestylefarming.com.au. So that's lifestylefarming, all one word, .com.au. And as I mentioned, that's coming up on 19th of April. Okay. Well, getting back to you, Evan, what have you been up to? Oh, I've been up to all sorts of things lately. Um been uh, going to see a few landscapes that we designed up to two years ago that, okay. are, that are now finished. Yes. Which has been terrific. Um, one out in Melton, uh, which I've spoken about before. Uh, it was being built, I think, last time I was in here. And uh, that that is just looking fantastic. So it's a community centre, childcare centre. Um, it's got three playgrounds. Uh, well, it's got four playgrounds, actually. Um, it's got about four kinder rooms. Um, and, you know, a really nice entry and so on. And that's open now. It's in a new estate in South Melton in Bridge in uh, Bridge Road. Uh, and uh, I think there's about 15 kids enrolled, <laughs> which <laughs> they are just loving. Claire and I stopped there the other day on the way to Ballarat and there's about 15 kids running around this enormous playground <laughs> and teachers, you know, just sitting around having cups of tea, basically. Um, no, so it, it's just really good because it's a nature-based playground yes uh the only plastic in there is a couple of slides Mm -hmm. that come down little hills um and on those hills we've got brachychitans um growing and we've got besh corneria which is a bit like a yucca um it's it's that sort of size but it's soft right has a soft leaf uh, so I'm the glad hills it's are... soft if they come off the yeah, sides. Yeah, yeah. No, they... see, it's it's interesting designing for kids. You have to try and figure out where they're going to want a shortcut yes. and where you allow that and where you don't allow that. And mm. Besh Corneria is a good plant for that because it grows pretty quickly um, up to about 
a metre high okay, uh, and maybe 1,200 wide. So what, it forms like a, almost a natural barrier? It does, yes. yeah. And also because it's quite a steep slope, you're allowed to go up to 30% slope in a playground, which is pretty steep. That is. Um, so, so it also forms a bit of a barrier from the top that if they you know, roll down, they'll only roll as far as the first, uh, first plant. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and one of the cool things about that plant is that it has a massive, massive flower that is red and arching. Okay. So it's up to what, two metres tall, mm. I suppose, two and a half metres tall. Um, great big arching flower. So when they're in flower, it'll, it'll just be you know, really interesting, I think, for the kids. So, and it's just good to see the playground in use. To see what the kids how they how they're using it yes. and so on. So that's been really good. And there's lots of things in there that that uh, over time, like those flowers, like banksia seeds and uh, or the brachychitin seeds. Mm. Once they're up, you know, they're a lovely big wooden boat type type shape. Um, and there's there's a little water pump and all of that sort of thing in there as well. So it's just going to be great to see how they play with it. Um, and I, I guess there's a lot of uneven surfaces. Throughout the place as well, there's there's no uh, rubber or anything like that. There's there's rock hopping and there's there's sort of pole hopping and um, there's a circuitous bike track um, going around the around the perimeter sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, and they they've got some really great trikes too, I must say. Uh, <laughs> so you know that, that's just going to be terrific. And once the shade comes, you know. I guess that's the the hard thing about doing these landscapes is that you don't want to put in too much in the way of shade structures because um, they're great for the short term, but you don't really want them for the long term. You want the trees to do it. Yes. And if you go and look at old kindergartens, there'll be one, three, five really big trees in there that do the shade and kids play around them play under them, pick the bark off, Mm. all of that kind of thing. That's really hard to do in a brand new greenfield site Um, because when trees are young also they look like they take up a lot of space because they'll have the foliage down quite low and so it's it's sometimes difficult to convince people that no look this is great for the long term yes there's just going to be poles here (laughs) they'll just be able to run around poles and if you can have lots and lots of poles um, it makes for a really nice environment. Mm. Choice of, of trees in this sort of situation what do you tend to go for? Um, we use, um, well, Banksia integrifolia is one that I use a lot. Um, uh, Chinese elm is really, really good because it's pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Takes a lot of wind. Right. Um, uh, you do need to use the selected varieties because the, just the seed-grown ones don't take wind. <laughs> they tend to split. Yes. Their branches go. But if you use, there's a variety called Todd. Um, and there's, uh, I think, one called Burnley Select as well. Both of those are very good. Um, so they, they form a really nice, quite broad canopy, and, and they do it pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and they drop a lot of stuff, which <laughs> which is great in a playground. Um, you know, obviously you don't want too much stuff over sand pits that are going to drop too much over them. But over mulched areas, it's great to have the, the flowers of, of, of those plants and the seeds that flutter down. Um, and they drop lots of twigs, and twigs, mm. twigs are great for, mm. for sand pits. Um, yeah, brachychitons, obviously, are another really good one. Um, some of the uh, eucalyptus leucoxylon, uh, rosea, the dwarf uh, eucalypts, they're very, very good as mm. well, so we use those. Um, and bamboo. 
Bamboo is terrific. Um, hard to keep the water up to them in these windy sites. Yes, right. Um, but if you can get them through the first couple of years, they'll be great. And the great thing about bamboo, of course, is once it's growing, you can cut it and you can use it for all sorts of things. You can use it for making temporary fencing, like they've always done at the zoo. Yes. Always used it for temporary yes. fencing. Well, wigwams immediately yeah. come to mind. Yeah, exactly. Yes. TPs yes. And, and those sorts Fantastic. of things. Um, uh, and just... just uh, Sticks for kids to build with too, mm. you know, to lay down on the ground and jump over or whatever yep. it might be. Yep. So lots, lots of those uh, sorts of plants are really important. Um, but plants that, that offer something. So the Chinese elm is great too for the bark. Yes. Because you can peel that a little bit. Yes. And it, it's got some lovely bark. Um, mm. So, so when when you go in and and draw up a design for this, uh, obviously you've got to work with um, with the staff, mm. um, and hopefully the kids. Do they get any input? The kids um, do. Yes, uh, it usually happens through the architect. So we don't always go to that meeting, um, but the kids do generally draw some pictures and so on. They have um, like a wish list? Or yeah, they do. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And some of their pictures are fabulous. And in that one, I'm pretty sure some of those pictures got made into windows. Okay. So that they were, you know, they, their artwork is actually in the building. Yes, for right. For those foundation kids. Yep. Yeah. So um, it was starting one in Ballarat soon and we will be hopefully going to that meeting with the kids. Um, that That's an interesting site. Out at, out at Ballarat. I hadn't been to Ballarat for ages and okay. ages. Um, I went out there late last year when, once we knew this job was coming along um, and had a look at Sovereign Hill because I thought there's got to be lots of cool ideas at Sovereign Hill. Oh, yes. Which there are. Yes. Lots and lots. <laughs> uh, that was fantastic. <laughs> Mullock heaps spring to mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, and, um, you know, tent, tents and uh, – sorry uh, – Bamboo teepees and, and teepees that are covered by material and so on are very popular. Right. But, of course, they have these wonderful tents Yes, that, that they used to use. So, yes, of So course. we'll be putting those into it. Okay. Um, and so some shade structures can be canvas too. Yes, of course. Uh, which would be quite interesting. And they have nice water rills and so on that you can use. Um, sorry about that. That's my dog. <laughs> Anyone can hear that? <laughs> a ferocious Labrador. <laughs> it's probably attacking Millie on her way in. Probably. <laughs> um, yeah, so, um, but yeah, Ballarat, the, Ballarat's expanding out out to the, the Horsham side. Okay. So you go through the, the arch, the old memorial arch, and there's basically a whole new suburb being built out on that side. Right. Uh, called Lucas Hub, or okay. Lucas. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we went out there to have a look and, yeah, it's like any other estate in Melbourne mm. or into the west of Melbourne, you know, all brand new um, and uh, lots of great rocks, you know, because it's, it's a volcanic area. Yes. So lots of great rocks being dug out. Um, Which hopefully you can estate. grab some of and incorporate. We're hoping so. There were yes. huge piles of them. Mm. Um, and just going to the local garden supplies to see what sort of materials they have and so on was really, really interesting. Mm. Um, but Ballarat itself is looking fantastic. I mean, it really is 
a great city, isn't it? Oh, it is. Yes, it is. Very much so. Mm. The... And, and, and it's a very lively city. They have a lot of events and happenings up there. Mm. So um, mm. it really is a, a great little community mm. hub. Yeah. And horticulturally, I mean, just to wander around the streets. We did a lot of just driving around streets to see what plants were doing well um, and what you don't see. I suppose, is also important Yes, <laughs> when you're designing for these things. Um, and it was just wonderful to see some of the beautiful gardens, new and old, mm. that are, that are um, there. And Lake Wendaree, you know, that, that's just looking fabulous now. Um, it's all filled up and the parks around it look fabulous. Mm. So, yeah, that, that's an exciting one, um, Ballarat. And that's a similar one to Bridge Road. It's quite a big development that okay. will happen because it's a brand new place and so it needs a big community centre. Yes. Mm. Oh, exciting mm. times. Yeah, it is exciting times. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Jen, what's been happening with I know I know you're a member of uh, Friends of Burnley. Yes. What's been yes. happening recently with the oh, group? Well we had a great talk the other night by Penny Woodward who um, many listeners listen to here. Um, yes, telling us about garlic again and she was off to um, like on the weekend, she just went to the Chile and Herb and Chile Festival, I think. That's right, yes. at Wandon last weekend. Yes, yes, that's right. And actually, um, Clive Larkman is going to come along to the Friends in late in, oh golly, I can't think of the dates, but it's certainly later on, maybe it's late March, um, to do a bit of a cook up with herbs and things. Oh, okay. So it'll be great. Yes, right. Yeah, interesting. Yes, actually, I've just been putting together the newsletter for the Friends and. Um, Yes, yeah, just seeing what's been happening and, yes, so I've been to most of the things. But uh, we're also going to do like a little succulent um, workshop where people, the frame will be supplied and people um, will plant into that frame these little succulents or the different varieties and make like a picture. Okay. You've probably seen them at markets mm. and things, but yes. they look fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. And my aunt made one recently um, and they just look terrific, you know, and you can put them sort of flat or you can put them up as like an easel in your garden as a nice little, um, yeah, focal point. Mm. So what substrate do you put in them and how deep are they? To- uh, usually they're about, mm, I suppose, about eight centimetres deep, mm-hmm. yeah, up to ten centimetres. And it's quite a light um, growing mix, yeah. It's almost like the the stuff that you use on the roof gardens, yeah. Yes. And the, it's quite a... Um, Yes, more along like for the succulents, which is really light and I'm trying to think of the red stuff, the scoria type. Mm. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. So not too heavy and mm. um, but holds a little bit of moisture but not too much, all that sort of thing, getting that balance right. Mm. Yes, but um, yes, one of the um, nursery people, Sasha, is um, getting that organised for us and she's done a great job around the gardens recently doing bits and pieces. Mm. Yeah. I, I do have the details of that particular workshop, so I might as well give it out now. That is coming up on Saturday the 18th of April. Um, of course, it's taking place down at Burnley College, 10am um, through to 1pm. Cost is $65 for members of Friends of Burnley or $80 for non-members. And obviously bookings are essential for that one. And to book... Um, you can phone 9035 6861 or you can email Andrew Smith and his email address is a.smith at And I know a lot of people have seen these succulent um, pictures hanging on walls and things. Great idea. Um, yes. So that should be a really interesting one. Yes, that'll be great. And actually this morning I was listening to something on the radio um, where – up in Sydney, one of the um, 
uh, councils, Karinga, I think it was, are doing a pool to pond type thing. Apparently they've got something along the lines of 10,000 pools and all the kids have moved out of home and the parents are sort of going, oh, what do we do with the pools now because they're so, um, like so much maintenance to keep them going yes, that they're turning them into habitats. Wow. Okay. And um, it was just a really – they were talking to a guy and they've got um, – that you just let them go and, of course, you get the algae and then you get um, – it it's like a bit of a boom and bust. You get algae yeah. coming in and then you have to get – then the snails come in and yes. you get thousands of snails and then – Sounds and like then, a bit of a mess. Yeah, well, <laughs> obviously, like for the first few months, I imagine it's terrible. You yes. go, oh, look at that, because it's been this beautiful blue, mm. sparkling – um, pool and then going to a pond full of scum and algae and um, everything. But then you, and they, the guy had put some plastic tables in so he can put plants at different heights mm. and he had water dragons in there. He said he's got fish now. He put a couple of viabies and then a, like a little while later he was um, – cleaning it out, and then you found like a 40-centimetre yabby in there. So he sort of now he <laughs> goes in, in his little <laughs> – yes. going in his um, little dive, like diving booties so that they don't bite your toes. So, um, yeah, but I thought it was an interesting um, program. And so, yeah, they're putting like all the local plants in as well. So he's got this great habitat, but he was a bit worried about his neighbours and the frogs, all all the different frog calls that um, – Croaking away. I love it. Do neighbours really complain about frogs croaking? I don't think they do. Anyway, no. he, Surely. They hadn't no. at that stage, so yeah. yeah. No. It's oh, something you get used to quite quickly. We have two ponds quite close to the house, okay, and uh, and yeah, we have our megaphone frog that uh, you know comes and goes throughout the year, and <laughs> it's just extraordinary how loud they are. But it's it's quite nice, you know. It doesn't it doesn't keep you awake. Yeah. I think it's quite soothing and yes. drops you off to sleep. Uh, and and we have those little froglets, the common eastern froglet. They they sort of chirp. Yes, okay. and that's that's a really lovely sound as oh, well. It is. Yeah, I, I really like that. Yeah. Um, we've just put a pond in at one of the schools I, I look after, um, and hoping that uh, we'll get frogs in there. I'll be probably taking some tadpoles from home, but I'm actually doing the garden a garden next to the school as well. I've been asked to do a design there, and that's actually just one fence away from this other pond. So there'll be a little pond in there as well. So I'm hoping we'll have, you know, two ponds quite close to each other. Yeah, we'll have a frog. (laughs) So I have to have a little arch hole under the under the fence. Stop, a little stop and go sign, to, yeah. yeah, yeah. So they can go from one pond to the other. Oh, how fantastic! But that's going to be a really good opportunity to actually have, you know, have two ponds so close to each yes. other. Yes. And uh, if I can introduce some tadpoles from home, hopefully um, we'll get some get some breeding up. Do you have any restrictions with ponds in 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 school yards? I mean, yeah. You course. know, normally we have to fence our our swimming yeah. pools. What yeah. what what are the restrictions a, with there, ponds? Well. You could fence it. That would be one way of doing it, like a pool fence. Or yep. the other way is to mesh cover it. Oh, and so this okay. has got a stainless steel. Um, so a mesh just mesh straight over the top, right, right across right the on top. the surface, basically. Yep. Yep. So forty mil stainless steel mesh. Right. Um, and uh, and that 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 I've I've built so it comes out in sections. Okay. So the pond's about three meters long by one and a half, um, and the. There's a frame that sits permanently in the pond, and then each section can be lifted out. And there's about eight sections, mm-hmm. so that when because part of the idea of this is that kids can do it's a grade four area, they yes. can do biology, um, and and pull things out of the pond. So they need to access the pond. Yes, of course. Um, and it's no good having 
a grate that covers the entire pond because you pull that out and you destroy everything that's growing in the pond. Because there'll be plants mm. that are growing that, up through it, of that's course. That's exactly too, right, yes. yeah. So the idea is to have lots and lots of sections. So there's about eight sections and they're in strategic places where where they can stand on rocks around it to to lift them. Okay. And push them aside and then and then access mm. the pond. Well, of course, the other beauty of having a mesh right over the top is that it stops birds, if you're going to have fish or anything in there, stops the birds from getting to them. Yeah, absolutely. In, mm. in Kew and Hawthorne and those areas, I've had so many uh, fish eaten by um, herons yes, and things yes. like that, which is just, Word just goes hilarious. Out. Oh, yeah, I think there's a fishing rights yes. charter you know, for, for different suburbs and there's a bit of a brawl before each season for who's going to get the rights. But uh, they, they do. They're very efficient fishing uh, uh, peoples. Yes. Uh, but uh, we won't put fish in the pond. Because, okay. Because fish are, um, once you have fish, you don't have a lot else. No, right. Um, so Unless they're little uh, little perch or something like that. But I've not had a lot of luck with those sorts of things. Mm. I think it's far better to try and encourage um, frogs and tadpoles to do that job. Yes. And it's more interesting, of course, too, I Oh, think. of course it is. Um, and they don't poo as much. Right. So, so you know, fish uh, fish poo a lot, and and they 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 add a lot of nutrients into the water. Yes. Particularly mm. because people tend to feed them. Yes. So it's it's harder to keep them clean. So in ponds where people like to have a lot of fish and uh, um, like to have the water really clear, you really have to have a UV filter system. Mm. And for a for a uh, say a two and a half thousand liter pond. You need about a five thousand liter an hour turnover, right? Going Heavens. through a filter mm. if you want to keep it really clear. Yes. Generally, I mean, it depends how much sun they're in as well. I mean, there's lots of factors to that that sort of increases or decreases the amount of algal uh, growth that you get in them. Mm. And sunlight is a big one, mm. and how much aeration and and so on. But as a general rule. That's the sort of turnover you need through a UV, and UV v filters are fabulous. They're really yes. good. The globes last for a couple of years, and the water just passes through a UV filter and sort of knocks those things off. Right. But uh, obviously, it stops a lot of other things growing as well. Yes. So you know, it's a bit like spraying your veggie garden, or like I did this year, uh, sticky traps in the veggie garden. Oh, oh. they pick um, up everything. Don't they, they? they pick up. It's been fascinating as to what they pick up. But, you know, because at the start of the season, I was saying before, whitefly. Yes. At the start of the season, you know, I thought, oh, I'm going to be onto them this year. So I bought all these sticky traps and put them around the beans in particular. And uh, they'd be full within a week of whitefly. Right. Completely full. Yes. But then, yeah, there'd be the odd wasp, which Mm. not, not European wasp, but, you know, maybe a native wasp of some description. You know, maybe three or four ladybirds. Yeah, that's the problem <laughs> um, with the sticky traps. Yeah, that's right. Yes. That's right. So you lose. And then one that, that one of the sticky traps that was full, I had it just sitting on the surface flat and uh, it caught a lizard. <gasps> really? <laughs> yeah. Whoops. <laughs> so that's how sticky they are. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I obviously didn't it crawled it'd on. Be capable of, yeah, just yes. a little skink. Yes. And, and obviously it was all very covered in white fly already. But still, it um, it uh, it still managed to catch one, which was just fantastic. Right, good heavens! <laughs> um, so yeah, but the sticky traps have certainly they certainly reduced the numbers of white fly. Yes, but they have just bred and bred mm. and bred and bred. And as I was saying before, it's just like a mist now, 
walking around our vegetable garden. Goodness and and even 30 metres from the vegetable garden, there's still this sort of mist. Um, and we have a, a, a green, light green splashback in the kitchen. So you take the basil in or whatever. If you don't shake it well enough before, before you, you get come in, inside. they all gravitate to the to the back wall of the kitchen. Oh, and dear. They're all crawling all over that. It's amazing how they they attract themselves yes. to the green. Yes. But uh, if anyone's got any fabulous ideas for for getting rid of fly. white fly, um, you know, I th- one person the other day said, "I think we should vacuum them up." And I thought, actually, that's not a bad idea. Uh, so you just need a super vacuum cleaner with a huge funnel at the end, and you can walk around the vegetable garden and shake the trees and just suck them up. <laughs> I think that's a very novel idea, I just and have, I'm going to try that. I have visions of your basil going <laughs> yeah, that's <right>. vacuum. Yeah. <laughs> Straight into pesto. Yes. Just mulched up and out the other end as pesto. Oh, dear. <laughs> Absolute chaos by the sound of it. We have to say a very good morning to Millie Ross. Good morning, morning Pam. Millie. We're giving Pam the regular heart attack. We all have to do it to her once a year. It's part of the deal. <laughs> you don't know half of it because Evan arrived like one second. 40 back. seconds before you look. I did, look, I, I did mix up my dates as I've, I've been shocking on this roster, I, uh, but, but for some reason. But my niece actually has just flown in from WA. Because she's a gardener. My, my big brother is also a gardener. He, he gardens down in Margaret River and she over the years sort of gardened alongside him and, and now in her mid-twenties that's what she's decided she really wants to do. So she's been working in landscape and nursery oh, great. over there for, for a couple of years and, um, and she said, I just really want to come for garden week. So she's going to come and, you know, I think Diggers Club, Tale said, sure, we can use an extra pair of hands. So um, <laughs> she'll just volunteer at a, a few different spots. Fantastic. And, um, yeah. yeah, that's good. And, uh, and kind of experience the show. So, That'll yes, I, uh, poor little thing, a bit shell-shocked <laughs> off the red-eye plane, and I said, I've got to go. <laughs> I'll see you in an hour. <laughs> There's a thing. <laughs> what we might do, I've, I've sent uh, Jan back to uh, our, our talkback phone, so... Uh, I can now uh, invite listeners to join us. If you'd like to ask a gardening question this morning, do give us a call. The number is 94190155 or this morning we have Liz on the outside line. If you'd like to have a chat to Liz, 94198377. Talking about whitefly, I was just, you know, it's just that seasonal thing, isn't it? Mm. Whitefly was so bad early this year because we'd been so dry and Mm. now we've got more wasps than, I mean, I've been telling the story all week as we've been discussing the proliferation of European and English wasps at work. Of the last time I was stung was when I was working for you, Evan, and I put a shovel through, I put a spade through one of the nests at Brighton. (laughs) And I came down and got him and he said, where? And I'm going, over there. He's going, where? I'm going, over there. He kept walking towards it and then suddenly he's running back towards me. Oh, it's there. <laughs> oh, but it was it was such a shocking thing to do. I actually, oh, you know, it felt yeah. like that I was being burnt. I mean, you know, it took a yes. few seconds to work out what was yeah. happening. Yes. Like embers hitting my legs, yes. yeah, yeah. edging the bed. But you know, it is such a seasonal thing. And this mm. year, I mean, white flies often bad in certain parts of the garden, isn't mm. it? Like it usually gets bad on your beans and gets yeah. bad on the basil late in the season. That's but right. This year, it has been particularly uh, bad. And I know that um, James Beatty he he releases predatory. Um, Insects every year, and uh, I've been chatting to the guys from OCP uh, who are eco organic. Yes, um, sorry, OCP is their commercial name, and um, and you know they were saying that the parasite is actually a national. You know, it's 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 around nationally, but it's about. Mm. I guess it's about trying to have enough 
you know, surely. other stuff going on in your garden mm. uh, for them to, to sort of the population to build up and be a bit stable. And I guess that, you know, a population of predators doesn't really get up there until that population of pests that's is there the for problem. them to eat. Yeah, you know? I, so I, that's I, right. I am dubious about mm. doing that. I think greenhouses and stuff, it works really well, but I really haven't seen it work well yet. In an open area, yeah. I think it, it's a great idea. Mm. I love the idea of yes. sending predators out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess it's more just uh, you know you hope that if they are yeah. you know they are a natural predator that mm. once that pest population builds up that you'll you'll get them turning up. But um, yeah, yeah. But, but it's, it's such an explosion. It has been such an explosion this year. And a few years ago, I I grew marigolds all around the tomatoes. Did that help? And that helped enormously. Mm. And this year, I was late getting them in. Okay. And I didn't put as many around. So I'm wondering whether that was it or whether I had a lucky year a couple Mm. of years ago. Yeah, well... Because it can be that. It can just be a good season. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know certainly, um, you know, one of the things that probably generated the most interest on Gardening Australia, and from all of us, actually, when when we, we did it last year, we filmed with a fantastic um, young entomologist who's Brisbane-based and he's doing all of his research into all the caterpillar species that attack brassicas and looking at natural ways to sort of really commercially control them. And one of the simplest things um, which uh, we, we, we ran as a tip again a couple of weeks ago, Jerry was talking about, was growing um, this plant landcress amongst your cabbages. So some people might grow a sacrificial crop. So mm. put in a row of bok choy next to your cabbages and, and they'll always go for the bok choy, you know, they'll always go for the Asian ones first so then you can just feed that to the chooks and, mm. you know, remove your caterpillars that way. But this particular plant, which some people call it upland cress, sometimes the seed is sold as upland cress, mm-hmm. sometimes as land cress, is, is Barbaria vulgaris and um, it's absolutely, it's a magnet to them. Uh, the 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 two two I think it's both of the species of of, of moth um, will lay on it and butterfly will lay on it and the the caterpillar actually dies when it hatches and starts to oh, feed really? so it's actually like a trap crop okay. to run oh, a row yeah so it's um it's completely poisonous to them but they cannot resist it so uh, yeah so a, a, you know a really interesting sort of way and and Jerry tells the story actually that his grandmother used to grow this amongst her cabbages and she didn't really know why but she always had good cabbages when she partnered it with this land crest and now he's kind of been mm. handed the science but um you know certainly there's bigger there's every time you try and take one step back to to see how to solve a problem you realize you need to take six steps back you know yes, that's, that's <laughs> right yes yeah, yeah absolutely well, right I, way through. i've netted my vegetable garden and with fairly small netting the bees still get in there yep. But the white cabbage moths, you get very few in there. You get a few because you leave the gate open or, you know, whatever yes, it might right. be. But, but uh, once I buy a butterfly net, well, that'll be the end of them too. Yes. Not a bad job for, <laughs> yeah, for kids that's, that's or, right. or retirees. Yeah. I know a few retirees who are very, very keen on catches. Yeah, but I, I do think netting is the, is the, is the easiest way. Yeah, really? it's just such a – I mean, you know, I must admit, like, for me, I, I just, you know, came in and heard you talking about the sticky traps and, mm. and I have a lot of – I have concerns about them because I mm. know that people find that little birds get stuck on them sometimes mm. and, and, you know, the same thing with netting. You've, you've got to take such good precautions to ensure that it's incredibly taut and rigid. Mm. To You know, the last thing you want to do is be trying to get an angry tiger snake out of your netting, which oh, I've yes. heard has happened many times. <laughs> but, you know, it's not just snakes, it's birds, it's bats and – yeah. You know, getting caught in in these structures. So, I mean, if you're going to do it, you've got to do it well. Is, yeah, I, guess, I think you big, have to, you yeah. have to build a structure. You yeah, can't just you, flop it over. Got to be committed to. Yeah. to and and yeah. you know, I mean, that's do it once and do it well is a good mm. idea anyway. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be out there repairing and every you know couple of weeks.
weeks having to fix little bits. So you know, no. you want to if you're going to do it, you've got to do it really That's well. That's right. Well, we um we actually call it the aviary because there's often birds in there. Um, yeah. <laughs> 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 and there was actually a carawong in there the other day. Oh, really? Hugo comes Looking to as me. shocked as you were. <laughs> he says, Dad, there's a carawong in the veggie garden. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> so we're out there trying to entice this guy out. At, uh, and he did go out because we've got several doors yeah, to okay. go out. But, yeah, he wasn't very pleased. Yes. I don't think he'll be doing that again. Yes. Going in there. Yes. Oh, dear. <laughs> Okay, um, I must remind listeners that number if you'd like to join us this morning, 94190155 to speak to the team on air, or if you'd like a chat to Liz on the outside line, 94198377. couple of things I should quickly mention. Um, firstly, uh, 3CR over the next week are going to be doing live broadcasts from Friends of the Earth which is at uh, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood, just down the road from the studios here. Um, It's going to be what they're calling Sustainable Breakfast Series. Now, um, it's uh, going to be running from 7 till 8.30 next Monday to Friday, just running for next week. And um, part of this uh, series is going to be that it's going to be, um, be discussions on all sorts of Sustainable topics like renewable energy, workers' cooperatives, urban agriculture, um, building resilient communities and much more. So uh, so uh, do tune in for that one. As I say, that's next week from 7 till 8.30, uh, of course, here on 3CR. And the other, the other message I should relay to people, and I'm very excited about this, as part of Open Gardens Australia... On the weekend of Saturday the 11th and Sunday the 12th of April, which is not that far away, there's going to be uh, three gardens opening in the Yarra Valley. Now, one of those three gardens um, is uh, a garden called Christie's Bouquet, which is in Mount Evelyn. Now, this is uh, listeners who were listening um to our special broadcast on uh, International Women's Day two weeks ago would have heard um, our good friend uh, talking about her garden, which is Christie's Bouquet. Uh, This was Sue Stevens, And it's a spacious garden of great diversity. There'll be mature trees, um, an eclectic mix of bird-attracting natives, beds brimful of mast-coloured perennials, including 80 species of salvias. Now, the garden focuses on sustainable practices. Many of the plants have been grown from cuttings and seeds because, of course, Sue is um, the main propagator at one of the big nurseries here, and uh, the owners are prolific composters and recyclers. Now, why I'm so excited about this, firstly, is that I've never seen Sue's garden before, so I'm really pleased it is opening up. And secondly, some of the proceeds of that weekend will be coming to support the 3CR Gardening Show. So I'd like to encourage listeners to um, to think about heading up and having a look at Sue's garden. But also, as I say, there are two other gardens opening in the area on that same weekend. 
I'm going to be up in the garden on the uh, Sunday. I know Virginia will be up in the garden as well. Now, the address of the garden is 11 Forge Road. That's spelt F-O-R-G-E, Forge Road in Mount Evelyn. The other two gardens are Nunsuch, which is in Lilydale, and Garden of Hope, which is in Park Orchard. So, And, of course, all those gardens will be open from 10 till 4.30 on both the 11th and the 12th, and entry to each garden is $8 with children under 18 free. So I will remind listeners again next weekend, but... Uh, Bear that in mind, Sunday, uh, Saturday the 11th, Sunday the 12th, um, we'll all be heading to Mount Evelyn to uh, take part in uh, Christie's Bouquet opening up for the public. All right, as I mentioned, that number, if you'd like to join us this morning, 94190155. We have Evan Golke from Oka Landscapes and we also have Millie Ross, researcher from ABC Gardening Australia in the studio. We'd love to hear from you and we are running through until 9.15, our usual time slot. Millie, you've brought some sage in. I did. Well, I brought in. I did run around and uh, grabbed my my favourite um, my favourite salvia. You know, I, I I get why people love salvia so much, but I've only They're got great. two of them. <laughs> <laughs> it but, won't uh, stop this is, there. Yeah. Look, uh, look. I've had many over the years, but I guess I've I've come down to this is one plant that I just almost can't live without. Um, and uh, yeah, as I, I was running out, I was thinking, what haven't I what haven't I brought in for a little while? And um, for me, this. This is really just sort of coming into its own in a few different spots in my garden. I use it everywhere. But this is um, a salvia, species salvia called salvia discolour. Uh, and it's uh, it's got the most um, fantastic white stems and white underside to the leaf, um, and then uh, you know it's a very sage like leaf actually. It looks it very much like very the edible so. sage. Yep. It's a little bit greener and sort of more leathery than edible sage. But um, the reason I love this plant, apart from its gorgeous foliage, it has an actually almost a black flower, mm. um, and uh, it's a really good salvia for the shade. So I grow up mostly in, in shady spots in the garden, let it scramble up over things. It's very reachy. Okay. Um, it's not a shrubby sort of strong mm. thing. It's it's actually quite scrambly and, you know, it'll fall over and its long flowering stems sort of can reach up behind other things. So I think it's a, a really good plant. I often, because I have a lot of pots, because I move gardens, I often have, you know, my pot plants and then I have plants like this that I can continually propagate and just sort of stick in around them, mm. if that makes any sense. So you're sort of making features out of your potted potted things mm. um, that are precious and you've got to take everywhere. But, yeah, I just I just love this plant. And, um, yeah, the flower is, is truly it's, – it's so purple that it's almost black. Wow. Um, and actually quite sticky when it gets mm. – um, okay. Very, very yeah, sticky. Yeah, it's a really sticky yeah. plant. But um, just a really <clears> – <throat> Really great plant. You know, I've been thinking a lot about – so I had um, – mm. last week I was – last weekend I was in Sydney and um, and visited a holiday gardens for the Hidden Design Festival, which is sort of like Sydney's version of uh, Garden Design Fest here. Oh, okay. Um, came, came off a similar sort of idea um, with designers opening up a lot of their own gardens. Um, it was really nice, actually, a lot of the designers. We went to the, the, you know, the launch party on the Wednesday night and met a lot of the designers, which was great, you know, because we could sort of – pick out the ones we knew we wanted to visit and have a really good yak to them. But many of them actually opened their own gardens, which mm. was, you know, they don't necessarily tell the public that's whose garden it is, yeah, you know. Right, but but it, was a, it was a really lovely thing and, um, and, a, and a great garden that um, we went to uh, late in the day. It was built by um, this, this great guy, Michael Bates, who's one of the biggest landscape contractors in Sydney. So he's kind of Mr Contractor to the Stars. He said, look, I realised early on in my career that people don't pay for ideas, they pay 
for retaining walls. <laughs> so he's he's actually got this great, you know, he's actually a good designer and studied in Japan, you know, all this sort of stuff. But he decided that, you know, he was going to feed his family this way, and he's yeah. done he's done incredibly well out of it. Mm. Um, but he was he stood us up on the top top story of his two story, um, you know, sandstone house is beautiful, like you know, Sydney Sydney is beautiful, mm. and uh, and he said, look look, this is what I look at every morning, and his planting was completely texture and color, you know these beautiful big alcantarias that you can grow in Sydney, you know, massive bromeliads with tanks that are like a bucket of water, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, um, and lots of foliage, lots of gingers, lots of, you know, just lots of colour and foliage. And so I came back and I was looking at this plant again and thinking, you know, like it's such a great texture plant. Mm. Its flower is interesting, um, but most salvias we grow for their flowers, you know. There's not too many, even on the cultivar range, that people say I'm growing this for my, the foliage. But yes. this is one that you would really grow for the foliage. And it's equally as hardy as many of the others, you mm. know. Oh, so, it's a very, very tough plant. Yeah. We use it a lot. It, it's not too bad for tightness if it's grown in full sun. Yeah. And it's quite good planted about a metre back from a path. Um, and it'll, it'll scramble mm. towards the path. Mm. And then when it's time to cut it back, you, you, you just cut it right back. Um, but the way they – it does scramble really nicely. It's mm. not too rangy. It, it scrambles quite well. And then it does have these amazing you know, little clusters of black flowers. With, you know, um, beautiful sort of white yeah. iridescent um, calyx and everything. So it's just mm. like it's such a, a stark-looking plant. Mm. But and very grey foliage yeah. too. So it, it's a nice grey. It's a bit like Flomus, if people know Flomus. Yeah. It's a very similar-looking um, leaf and, and leaf colour. Right. Uh, the stickiness is kind of annoying, I reckon, when you cut them back. <laughs> I like <laughs> it's it. It's just one of those textures like. isn't it? <laughs> but um, I've got one growing under a, under a um, lime magic wattle mm, mm. and it just it just falls out over the wall, you know, trying to get mm. to the sun, obviously. But it, it drops down the wall quite nicely. Yeah. Um, and when it gets to the bottom, it gets cut back up yeah. again and then off it goes. So it is a really, really nice plant. There are a couple of salvias that have very black flowers. There's one that I've brought in here before um, called tequila, which is a much taller grower. Mm. Um, but that has uh, red and black flowers or yes, red and yes, very, yes. very yes. deep purple. Oh. And that that's the most extraordinary thing as well. So, yeah, there's some really interesting flower colours mm. in the salvias. It's not all just purples, mm. Uh, mm. light purples and pinks and so on. There are some really wonderful um, and unusual colours as well. Mm. But, yeah, that's a really interesting plant, very tough. Yeah, and, and just multi-use, I guess. It's, mm. um, it was one of the things that I really took out of... Uh, in particular, a, a garden designer. Some people might have seen some of his work because he does a lot of the green wall and roof um, work. Mark Paul. All right. And um, his own, you know, it was his own place, which is a, quite a um, an architect design house. A lot of kind of individual little spaces. But he's he's you know he's been building um, putting plants on roofs and walls for twenty five years and doing so with um, with some of those. He, he says I don't understand why people put bedding plants in there. You know, when you've got all these great epiphytic, lithophytic you know, plants that you can use for these purposes. And and so for him, he uses plants to grow other plants. Mm. You know, he hangs tillandsias in his trees and, you know, and you sort of think he, he's got hippie astrums growing in his green wall. Hippie astrums throughout him. He said the first time mm. I climbed a mountain in Brazil and I got to the top and I saw this thing growing on rocks and I just went, <laughs> oh, you're going on a wall. <laughs> you know, like, but, you know, just a, a plant like this salvia you can use in so many different ways mm. and get, you know, it's not just – a shrub. 
you mm. know, that'll mm. get to a metre by a metre, you know. And, mm. and, I mean, I guess I often encourage people to garden that way just because the label says it's going to be a metre by a metre doesn't mean it needs to in your garden. No, that's no, right. Exactly. Have fun with it. Where and are you going to put it? How are you going to grow it? Yeah, there are a lot of plants that actually drop down walls really well. You don't have to have a particular plant that's known for it. Yes, that's prostrate. No, that's yeah. right. There's yeah. there's lots of things that will do it. Mm. Um you know, even your rosemaries, it doesn't have to be a prostrate rosemary to drop down a wall. I've mm, got it mm. dropping down uh, well, probably half a metre, I suppose, mm, down mm. walls, and it looks really, really good. But, and it's full. Mm. You know, it's not just clinging to the wall and dropping yes. down it. Mm. You know, it doesn't have to be convolvulus. Yeah. Um, there are other things that you can use. <laughs> oh, they just flash me right back to my nursery days. <laughs> How many of those things have I tidied up? It's a very, very useful plant. <laughs> and I haven't used it for years, but it just came to mind because we, we've been doing work at the um, Burundara General Cemetery. Wow. Of all places, um, which is in Kew. Yes. It's a massive place. It's about 40 acres or something. Mm. In the middle of Kew, it, it just the land value must be extraordinary. And it's a lovely, quiet, peaceful place to yeah. work. There's not many people chatting. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we've been using um, – well, I've been working with a landscape architect who did, did the sort of initial concepts, and one of the ones she wanted to use was convolvulus. Mm. Um, and so I went out to PGA to see what they had, and they've got one called Two Moons, which is what we've used. Mm. Um, and it's actually a very interesting plant because it has two flower colours on it. It's uh, it has white and it has that pale, you know, purpley colour. Yep. That that mauvey colour that is you know, the usual the thing standard you see. One, yep. Yeah. Mm. But it has them on the same plant. And so far, I mean, they've only been in six months, but they've spread, and they're only about ten centimetres high, if that. Mm. Maybe three centimetres high, mm. actually. They're very, very low, and they're just spreading out over these spaces over gravel. Um, and they look really, really good. So mm. the planting is all in in blocks, and right. it's it's done so that you know the the um, areas where there are graves that are already made of stone and so on um, come through into this area that doesn't really have any set graves, but there still are the areas. But there's no concrete. Mm. There's no uh, granite or anything. Um, so it's been blocked out into the sizes, which is sort of eight foot by three foot And they can rebury after some years, can't they? they oh, can. I don't think they can there. Oh, okay. I don't know. Whether, well, they can't actually. It's pre- it is pretty fascinating. You've got to be very careful where you do planting too. Yeah. Ooh, you don't want to put your shovel through something you shouldn't put your shovel through. <laughs> no. Usually it's just irrigation you've <laughs> no. got to worry about. No, but it is very, yeah. very particular where you can mm. where you can plant things. And, uh, and of course, in these very old cemeteries, they don't always know where the vacant mm, spots really are. Don't. No. So there's been a lot of research going on there to find where the vacant spots are. Yeah. And the area that we've been doing um, is around some crypts that were built maybe, I'm not exactly sure, maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, they're these bluestone sort of modern uh, crypts uh, and there's still a lot of space in those crypts and the garden around it was really ordinary. Mm. Now it's beautiful. Mm. Mm. So now if you walk in off the gate of uh, High Street, and and walk in there. There's mm. this beautiful garden around the crypts, uh, mm. which is just great. It, it, I mean, there's so it's, many interesting things in this place. One of my my good mates who I I used to work at Pointons with, you know, we're all back in the day. She now is um, running the gardens at Rookwood Cemetery in Sydney, mm-hmm. which is an entire suburb. 
Yes, it's right. so big that a train used to run there and people would come up and picnic. It's, it's got its own mm. postcode. Mm. But she works – so there's the Catholics and then the Independents. Yes. And in this huge site, which is something like – and I, my, my mass might be off, but I think it's like about 400 um, acres or something like mm. that. Mm. That would be right. <clears throat> and, um, you know, there's remnant grasslands on there. Yes. Um, is, is all of these different – there's all of these different eras. So there's, you know, 150 years – they reckon there's a million people there already. Wow. You know, all of these different – Eras of of where they've buried people. There's all of these different cultural areas. Mm. You know, there's there's the there's the they're going to redo the paupers area where mm. the paupers get buried. Mm. Um, you know, she said there was a guy in shackles from prison burying his mum there the other day. You know, and wow. it, just like an extraordinary place to to garden. But um, mm. yeah, it was mm. it was quite a, it was quite fun having a tour with her. Mm. And there's a, there's a part right down the the really oldest part of the cemetery, and and you know they have grand plans of turning it into almost like a botanic garden. Mm. You know, oh, I think it's a great you know, idea. Do you know the latest thing is to re-name cemeteries as botanical parks and Springvale um, is actually opening up for things like weddings, christenings, because they said... They, they, yeah, got, no, no got, it's unbelievable. I was there recently. They've got massive acreage of, of gardens. They, they do. They've got four, the roses are amazing, aren't they? Yeah. They've got four chapels. Mm. They yeah. also have um, they have Peter Rowland catering. They have chefs mm. from Crown Complex all out there. Mm. It's actually one of my one of my money making schemes slash retirement plans is to buy a nice block and do natural burials because <laughs> I feel like because I, I I mean I've got to admit like and you know not to be too personal but you know having gone through some of this stuff and some of these processes over the last couple of years for the first time in my life I found them very unusual mm. and that you know and the idea for me of being in a place with a million other people with a little stone or you know mm. like I mean I know it's a cultural thing and and I. I saw in the Billy Connolly um, doco, he went to a place in the States where they it was just, uh, you know, they were registered, Yes, mm. obviously. The laws are a bit looser apparently in America, but where people could, you know, you could dig a grave for your loved one if you want to. And as a gardener, that's something, the sort of thing I, I think is kind of a nice thing. Mm. But um, it is, yeah. I mean, they, these are, but they're like golf courses, you know, cemeteries. They're some of the most important open spaces that won't be snuck back, you know. Yes. They're mm. not going to become houses. <clears throat> Queen Victoria Market, I think, was a was a burial site of, of some sort. But, you know, they, it's unlikely they'll become houses. And so, yeah, they are, you know, wonderful open spaces that mm. are, are quite fascinating. The mm. old plants, um, I know the Rose Society was, was looking through country cemeteries a few years ago um, looking for old rose varieties because they felt that these were the sorts of places that, you know, plants just, even if they aren't being tended to, they don't get they moved survive. around and they yes. don't get, yeah. And yeah. I know also um, there's one, apparently one of the best uh, native orchid um, communities in uh, Tuckerbox land. What's the dog on the Tuckerbox? In, Gundagai. Uh, Gundagai. Gundagai. Apparently the Gundagai Cemetery has an in- exquisite collection of um, orchids. Yeah, it's very you common. Yeah. And, and natural grasslands and that sort of thing is very common in cemeteries. Yeah. Mm. And, in fact, the Burundara Cemetery has a um, Dianella that is apparently indigenous and it's one that we'll be dividing at some point Fantastic. And, and spreading around. Which is kind of nice. So, yeah. and there's probably other things too. There's old remnant um, eucalypts in there as well, um, red gums and uh, I think sugar gums, maybe. Not, oh, not exactly. So hard, not exactly it? sure about that, but it's something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, and there, look, there's a magic uh, weeping elm in there that that uh, we're going to. Well, it, 
we're talking about, you know, maybe it could be opened up a little bit so that people can actually go in under there because at the moment it doesn't look inviting, right. but it's a lovely, cool spot because you can imagine cemeteries are really hot. Mm. There's just so much stone. Mm. Uh, and so to, to have respite areas mm. I think is a wonderful idea and this is one of the things the board there is, tr- is trying to mm. sort of do, have those sort of respite areas. And the garden that we've done is one of those and, and we're doing the paupers area as well. Um, which is just replanting it basically and making it nice. There'll be some seeding there and, and so on. Yeah, great. So, um, yeah, they, it, they are wonderful spaces. Oh, they cemeteries. are. And I can see Springvale. I was out at Springvale recently and uh, that is amazing. I mean, they have this huge cafe complex uh, catering area, right. which looks pretty new. Yeah. Um, and as you say, lots of chapels. But the gardens are amazing. You know, you can wander around there. I mean, it is like a botanical garden. It, I mean, there's not the variety of plants, I suppose. Um, but there's areas of out there, there's areas of certain species of trees. Mm-hmm. So you can go around to the different different areas and yeah. see them. Mm-hmm. And so I can't see why these older cemeteries can't do a similar thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I went for a ride on the bike around, around the Melbourne Cemetery when we got this work at the queue just to see what, what yeah. they've done there. And again, it's there's some pretty poorly looked after areas and you think, gee, this is such a wonderful asset, some beautiful old buildings and so on. Like Q's got wonderful buildings mm, at the mm, front. Mm. Why couldn't it be a cafe? You know, I can't see why it couldn't be because it is a beautiful place. Lots of people walk people... their dogs through there and yeah. so on because it is, you know, there's nice walking tracks and it's interesting. It's the place that people also come to reflect and to celebrate. Like, I mean, mm. I guess that's the thing. Death can be all of these different things. Um, and But it is, you know, often it has to be, a, you want it to be a celebration of, mm. of that person. So it's, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think they're beautiful, mm. fascinating places. Well, and, 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 and as the, the spokesperson from, from Springvale was saying, most weddings take place sort of um, evening, or, you know, late afternoon. So it's not really going to clash with people who are there like in the mornings for... For, for, for the, other business. Other business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, for I know, you don't really want drunk uncle leaning on a headstone <laughs> while someone's trying to put their head at the wedding. No, no. Right. I mean, it's got to be respectfully dance. done, obviously. Do you know, do you know in, in Eltham Cemetery, they've got the most beautiful waterfall designed by Gordon Ford? Okay. Yeah, so, and, and again, a gorgeous, peaceful, place to for people to sit mm. I think, or to have a picnic next mm. to. I think mm. it's also that, you know, that big picture approach which is obviously happening at Q for you or, you know, Burundara now because, you know, that's one of the real challenges I know um, for, for my friend looking at managing all of these different areas over this huge site uh, is that other parts are managed by other people but also that there's been just so many eras, mm. you know, so someone goes, well, that's what we're planting now and they ha- they are ha- you can never really get a big picture feel for the place i guess is 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 the point because it's been so many different people over so many mm. over hundreds of years yes. you know um that, that that approaching it with a little bit of a big big picture eye that you can really transform mm. the place as a whole yeah well they obviously cemeteries have a lot of great big mature trees as mm. well that's mm. the other thing but i think over the last 50 years <clears throat> there hasn't been a lot of replacement Mm. Certainly at Burundara, that's how it looks. It looks like there's, there's been lots mm. of trees and, and there's lots of stumps now mm. and so on. So there hasn't been – but they are working on that. They've done a tree survey and they you know, they know what's there and what what is uh, what was there mm. yes. and so on. I don't think it necessarily means that you have to replant with what was there and mm. so on. No. I mean, eras are important. 
in planting like they are in uh, houses. Yes. You know, you don't have to have every house that looks like something built in Mm. 1880. You know, you're also going to have houses that were built in in 1950. Mm. So I think that's fine to have that that succession of planting. (laughs) Rookwood's absolutely in the older parts packed with bunions. And uh, and I'm like, I love these bunions. She's like, yeah, it's not really a great plant for a place where people are walking around all the time. No, no, and for maintenance, (laughs) they are so sharp. I love them. Ring me when there's there's cones on them. I want to eat them. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. Out out at the intersection of the Monash Freeway and the Princess Highway in Berwick, they planted a lot of hoop pines and bunya bunya pines years ago. And, uh, you know, the the bunya bunya pines are probably – and they planted them like four metres apart. So there's there's maybe 50 of wow. them. And I just think in long term, who's going to pick up all those dead leaves? Yeah, they're <laughs> so they painful, so aren't they? sharp. They're so <laughs> spiky. They're just annoying. Whenever I pick one up, I always wish my brother was nearby and we were seven and I could get him back for every time he whipped me on the back of the legs with something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we grew up, because where we grew up, it was all um, all heterophila, uh, uh, the Norfolk Island pine. Yes. And you can get a really good whip on the back of the legs with one of those. <laughs> one day I'll get him. <laughs> Millie, someone from the outside lines rung in they'd like you to repeat the name of the salvia so it's uh, salvia discolor and um, as with most botanical names if you spell the word color there's no u in it so it's c-o-l-o-r i think Mm, uh, as is is most often in in um, in scientific names Mm. i did have i shown you this yet have you got one of these, Evan? I thought uh, I, I looks did like bring some in... sort of um, torture device. Yeah, some sort of little torture device. I was right out the door. <laughs> it's totally my favourite tool now. So I've probably got three things that are my favourite tool: a bucket, always a useful thing. I love my little homey hand um, Korean hoe. But this is my new favourite tool. This is actually a soil blocker. This is uh, now. Is. This is how I'm raising my <laughs> seedlings now, all the time. So I make a mixture of worm castings, half and half with coir peat. Mix it up really, really well, and then you press it into this little little press, which has got a little divot in each thing, straight into my tray, and then I sow my seeds straight in there, so I have no transplant shock because I'm not now I'm not I'm not sowing into punnets really at all, doing all of it with my little soil blocker. And I've I've looked at this, and I know I can see you looking at it now, and I've tried to work out how to make one as good as that, but I'm not sure I can. So. I just thought I'd bring it in because it is, you know, it's rarely that I find a tool that I think is actually uniquely great. Um, but this is made in England. They're really, really popular in the UK. A lot of people use them. And also there's, there's larger sizes, like there's market garden sizes right. that are foot operated almost. Like a, so basically all it is is a little grid of cells. So they're about, um, you know, two centimetres square or a centimetre square, those ones. So that's mm. called the micro soil blocker. And then when you use your little clamping press, it just pops pops the little blocks of um, media out. Um, and using a, a lot of worm castings, they stick together really well. So you've got to have something that's quite coarse. Yes, it's and going bit, to have to stick. And the coir peat goes goes well. But I've had um, such great success. I did all my basil this way, um, you know, straight into the little divot. I use a pencil once. I, I actually make a deeper divot and then I cover the seed and the little blocks of soil in a, in a tiny little bit of vermiculite just to to hold the seed down because mm-hmm. um, I did find the first couple of times I did it all the seeds sort of washed over to the edges which is oh, fine okay. you can still plant that little block but yep. yeah just a great little tool um, and a great way of, of getting you know because I like to raise mostly my own seed for, for veggies and, and really just trying to I hate pricking out seedlings like pricking out trays of lettuce it was pretty yeah. much drove me yes. to insanity Nightmare. yes 
Um, and so, yeah, just a great little tool. So how does it work? So what I what I tend to do is I tend to hand pack the, the little grids. Yes. So you flip it upside down, you pack the soil in, and I really press it in. Mm-hmm. And then I'll put a little bit more media on a flat surface and actually push it onto it. Mm-hmm. And then – so you get – you want a really firm press. Yes. And then I just – push that straight out into a seedling tray. Yes. Um, so like a big seedling tray, an mm-hmm. A4 sort of size. Mm-hmm. Um, and I built a little hothouse out of an old window, which has got a, a sand, a moist sand floor in it now, mm-hmm. um, so that they've sort of always consistently moist my seedlings, which yes. is sort of so what other ho- trick. You, you're, you're putting these little little cubes, they're like a... Uh, like a um, so you literally, you literally. A I should have filled it up. Centimeter cube, yeah, little and, cube, and you push them out into a tray. Just that, sit them straight fits, in a tray that fits them neatly. No, they they actually hold together. So once you, you press together. them out, they'll hold together, and they're quite stable. So that's that's been the the trying to work out yeah. what the best mix is of the coir for a bit of you know fibrousness to hold it together. Yeah, and then the you put a castings, seed in each one. Put a seed in each one of the little blocks, and then a little bit over the top. A little bit of vermiculite or soil over the top, and, and then, then what? Then they then they come apart when you actually want to plant the they plants. are they're a little independent block so yes. you can you can actually buy like there's a, a number of these you can buy these like, you can only buy them online as far as I, there's one mob um all sun farms i think that sell some market gardening tools out of um new south wales really really famous um market gardeners and um but they have a size up from this where you can buy the next one um, and you actually – the divot that goes into that next soil block is exactly the same size as this, so you can literally drop your little soil block straight into that larger cell. But what I've done, I've just potted them on, you know, into paper pots mm. or, or planted them straight out into the garden. I've done oh, on many okay. occasions as well. So, so you so, make your little block and then it's straight into the garden. So roots just go whoosh. I see what yeah. you're saying. So, so, so you're not actually growing them uh, separately in a tray in those little cubes. No, it's no. just a little block of – you get 20 seedlings, you know, out of yep. that little block, and um, yeah, and then they can then be passed on. I know it's a hard thing to describe on it radio. Is very isn't it? Difficult, it is very difficult, so I'm yeah. trying to. So one of the things, that, one of the ways I think I can make it is um, is with old aluminium ice cube trays. You know those yeah. old yeah. ones with the little wriggle. So yeah, yeah. I've someone actually I, I mentioned this on Three AW one morning, and of course the next thing I know, Jane Edmondson's dropping me off an ice cube tray. So <laughs> someone sent one in, um, but uh, I haven't had a go at it yet uh, to to make one. But uh, yeah. you know I just I, I just really um, so time consuming pricking out seedlings and, and running them that way that this has been a really great little device for seed sowing. I think. I would actually be inclined to go the next size up. Yeah, me as well. Yeah. And uh, I could make this for you, Millie. This is not difficult. Well, you can make <laughs> me the next size up. That's why I bought. That's why I bought but, this one because yeah. I thought I'll buy the small one. Yeah. Because I can make the larger ones. Yeah, you know, yeah, this yeah. this little the micro soil blocker. Yeah. Um, no, it's not difficult. It's no, just no it's one's not. making it in Australia. Yeah. No, no. Um, and that it, it, it's a really great little tool. And yeah. you know, for for no pack, you know, I don't need seedling tra- You know, I really don't need anything to raise seeds now. You know, mm. I've got yeah. that one tool. I can make my own media and and you know have a really good consistent result mm. um, with and you know even so for me I I struggle with direct sowing with things like blackbirds just tear it to bits yep. you know like so I yep. almost don't direct sow anything other than you know root crops so if I do a row of lettuce I just they just get me every time and so um, you know I've sort of moved into this so I've even sown things that you would normally not 
so into, you know, so amaranth onto this or, you know, so things that normally you would because direct Because they're not so, getting root disturbance. There's no root disturbance yeah. at all. I, I, I will probably give it a bit of a trial. Like I would fiddle around even with a root crop, you know, mm. and see how it went. Um, you know, probably with a larger block, you'd do a, a beetroot or or or, um, or something like that. But, yes, um, you'd have to have a deeper one. Yeah, yeah. but um, mm. yeah, just I've, a great I've, little tool. I've got some of those ice cube trays at home. I'm going to have a go. Well, <laughs> I, I feel they're sitting there. I'm so not glad using you didn't them. throw them out forty exactly. years ago. Exactly. <laughs> well, I always look at them in op shops and think, God, you're gorgeous. What can I do with you? And now I've got a, something I know. can do with it. <laughs> More stuff to bring home. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to go to our first caller. We have Anne out in Oak Park. Good morning, Anne. Oh, good morning, uh, panel. Uh, I'm growing sultana grapes. I planted them yesterday in a large pot and I did everything right and I'm going to grow them on a trellis in the sun on a fence. I'd like to know if there's any tips that you can give me for growing grapes. Keep them well pruned because I'm I'm lazy. <laughs> they end up everywhere, <laughs> and they end up everywhere, all over the ground and everywhere. And uh, so I think that's the thing: do a bit of summer pruning, yeah, um, and, and that initial training, you know, with yeah. that, so that every year it's not complex. You can just prune mm. back to sort of your framework. If you get your framework established, then it's not hard to prune. But if you let it go everywhere, then you're sort of like looking, going, oh, if I cut here. That's right. Am I going to kill up there, you know? Yes. Yes. It's very important. Mm. And once Uh, you do that, then it's fine. And something else, uh, I have a friend who's an Essendon supporter. Oh, dear. And I was going to give her a pot plant with red and black flowers in it. So can you recommend anything? Oh, well, that's that's salvia. salvia. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, It's salvia. I'll just better write it down. It's Gesnerifolia. That's the one. It's big, isn't it? Um, Gesnerifolia. So it's G-E-S-N-E-R-I-I-F-O-L-I-A. And the variety is tequila. Right. It's a subtropical one. So um, it likes the heat. Um, right. But sorry, it likes a warm spot. It doesn't like those forty degree days. Mm. So a little bit you, of protection. Can you grow it in a large pot? Oh, you could grow it in a large pot. It is a big grower, mm. but uh, if you're just if you're pruning it regularly in a pot, it'll be fine. And it has red and black flowers. Absolutely, mm. yeah. Oh, she'll be elated with that. Yeah, mm. Yes. Oh, she needs something, doesn't she? <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. Thank you. Hey, no worries. Thanks, Bye. Uh, I. Uh, I've. I had a I, f- I found the mother load of grapes the other day. I was um you know I do a bit of lane walking and I had this little kelpie dog for a couple of weeks who was very well trained and and so we were walking through the laneways practicing all of our, our things and I walked past this grape hanging hanging down off of a of a big wall it's a, you know it's probably a 10 12 foot wall over into the laneway and I'd walk past it three times. And every time I walked past I was looking at it because I look at, you know, my, my garden's covered in grapevines but they're all, you know, mildew. I just can't, I don't mm. even try to beat it really. Um, I can't really get a bunch of grapes up because they just always get, you know, mould on them. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, you know, it's just, they're not easy things to grow to fruit, I don't mm, think. No. But anyway, this thing's the healthiest thing I've ever seen. And every time I walk past it three days in a row, I was like, gosh, you're a healthy looking thing. And so finally on the fourth day, I thought I must go and have a closer inspection of this. You know, maybe it's a species. So I went over to have a look and I sort of pulled back this this bit of foliage, this wall of foliage weeping down this wall. And underneath it is 
hundreds of kilos of grapes. Wow. Really? Yes. And um, they're, I think they're a wine variety because they're really tart skins, okay. but just like aromatic and just delicious. And hmm. so, yes, I've been harvesting. I haven't been back for a couple of weeks. <laughs> been harvesting the lane. Yeah. <laughs> I, look, I, I ran into an old fellow one morning. He had a bag. <laughs> and I was like, but I don't think the birds haven't well, spotted So it. you quick start running, you know, because he's got his bag. Well, no, he hasn't chasing. seen them. This was the extraordinary thing. There was something, I'm a, I'm pretty keen eyesight on plants. And I'd walk past it, like, you know, and we're yeah. in a laneway. It's not far away and, and three times and hadn't noticed there was any fruit, which the birds hadn't noticed there was any because fruit. Because they're hidden with the foliage. Completely hidden with yes. the foliage. And I've already taken some cuttings of it and I'll go back in winter. And if I, I think the people, you know, they're obviously cultivating it inside the garden and yes. they probably don't know it's even – you know, there's over. no gate out into the lane, so they okay. probably don't come into the lane much at all. But um, Is it a white or a red grape? It's a red grape. And, mm-hmm. yeah, look, I think I think it's definitely – it's got a big, big pip, but the pip is quite crunchy, so I quite like it. I don't yeah. mind it as a, you know, most people spit it. But, you know, sometimes you get a chewy sort of ruins it. Pip. This one's like, mm. you know, it's like the centre of a violet crumble in there or something, you know. It might but, be um, a table grape. My dad grows one like that that, ah. that is an edible grape, you know, a table yeah. grape. Yeah. Mm. And it does have that crunchy seed and it does have a little bit of tartness. Yeah. But I think that's just the character yeah. of that particular one that he grows. But so aromatic. Just mm. absolutely, you know, it's it's really aromatic. But mm. uh, yeah, I think it's actually the best find. Like I just had a bit of a moment where I, <laughs> you know, when you just, I feel wealthy when I look at my my jar of olives preserved. You know, I go, I'm right for olives for a year. Yeah. And when you find when you find hundreds of kilos of grapes and no one's there. there for the begging. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> anyway, they have yeah. been delicious. I should have gotten up early and brought some in. You anyway, should have. Next time. The pruning of the grapes is much like pruning of wisteria. If you don't look after it, particularly through the summer, and get that structure going, mm. then it'll become unbearable mm. and unmanageable. It's really, really important to – you only have to do it twice a year. Yeah. You have to do it in the winter just to tidy it up a little bit. But the main time is after it's put on that massive amount of growth, um, probably around Christmas, I suppose, mm. um, and you just knock all those back. And, and that just makes a huge difference because mm. it's got rid of all that – initial growth that it's wanted to do and you just pull it all back to its main stems and then you just get a lovely looking looking mm. plant that looks good in the winter as well. Right. Mm. And that's really important. Mm. Mm. Although there's so much you can do with those long winter canes when you cut them, you know, they're great mm. for weaving and, oh, yes. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So it's, I'm always torn by it. But it, <clears> interestingly, <throat> I, I didn't prune my grape this year because I just had a bit of a crazy time in winter and, um, and I've got more fruit on it than I've ever had before. Oh, there you so, go. So, you know, walk walk away and things get on with that. That's what I say to people all the time. Don't yeah. be panicked, sir. Tomatoes were making tomatoes before you got involved. <laughs> and, uh, right. Very true. It was, it's it's true. actually a funny thing. I, I yeah. um. I was I was looking at my grape and and um and like the way the garden's starting to fall apart now and I I I look I was I actually made a bouquet for my friend last night. He had his art opening. He's a photographer and musician, and I had to make him a manly bouquet. So I made him a manly bouquet of dead flower heads. <laughs> And, uh, you know, rose hips and stuff. It was quite beautiful, actually. Lettuce flowers and, you know, it was really nice. But um, I was I was just thinking, you know, the way the garden is starting to fall apart with the change in the weather. And I thought of Michael McCoy said to me, you know, if you're going to garden in a cooler climate, you've got to embrace decay. 
Mm. You've got to love it and you've got to think it's beautiful. And um, yeah, so I, I did bring in one of my uh, one of my echinacea flower heads that's yes. that's that's brown and dead now, but actually looked so beautiful in a bouquet last night. Right, you know, that structure. The decay is falling apart. Yeah, yeah. some more decay. Yeah, this there is this is a classic one, isn't it? Um, the sedums. Yes. Um, and and this is sedum. Um, uh, it's like Autumn Joy, which is the very common one, um, which has got very green stems. This has got uh, <coughs> burgundy reddish stems, and the flowers are a darker burgundy colour. Mm. Uh, it's called uh, Vera Jamison. And uh, it's, I think, in some ways it's better than uh, Autumn Joy. It's probably not as prolific, uh, but it's it's just got a, a really lovely form. It's not... Uh, it probably doesn't. If it, sometimes with autumn joy, if it's looked after too well, it actually gets too big and splits. Right. This doesn't tend to do that, um, so it's just more subtle. And going into winter, well, all the sedums are really good. I mean, autumn joy and this one are both mm. fantastic as structure through the winter. That decaying garden, this is really a, a key part of that sedum. So if you want to have mm. a garden that that does, you know, have that period where it's it's browning off and you just end up with structure then this is a really good plant to have in there, as is Miscanthus, which I brought in today as well. Yes. Um, that, that's another terrific, uh, terrific plant, Miscanthus sinensis, uh, because it's incredibly tall. It's flowering now, so it's, it's two metres tall. Um, and then it gets wonderful autumn colour, mm. goes a wonderful orange colour, mm. and then it just stays there as straw. Mm. And then you cut it down and put it under your strawberries. Mm. That's what I use Perfect. it for because mm. it lasts the whole season. It's yep. the best straw. Yep. Uh, in fact, this winter I'm going to dig up my clumps of, of miscanthus and actually spread them around to have, have a bigger area. Have you divided miscanthus before? Yeah, you need an axe. Yeah, I was just saying. Yeah. <laughs> you need yeah. probably, probably put a couple of days aside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Clear no, the diary. It's not too I'm going to divide that clump. <laughs> I have had rabbits bur- burrowing under one of them. And, uh, <laughs> so they've, they've probably eaten off most of the roots. <laughs> but... Uh, no, miscanthus is another really good plant for that decaying garden look, um, and uh, it probably looks best in snow. I must yeah. say. But, <laughs> so if you can arrange that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you see the gardens uh, in Washington and so on where they end up with snow over them and sitting on the tops of of uh, sedum, and and so it looks really, really good. But it looks equally good in in, in a garden in Australia. But um, yeah, it's one of the gifts of being a gardener, isn't it? To be able to look at your garden when it's past its Peak, I think so, and and just be interested and mm. um, and find it engaging, and mm. you know I, you know my hops is all browning off, and the grapes are all covered in mildew and dropping leaves, mm. but it's still, it's still just a, a lovely thing to be in and to watch. Yeah, I think so. Mm. Well, well, just um, we, we've had a, a query here about hydrangeas, and of course in autumn time. When the, those flowers have finished, they're still incredibly attractive because Absolutely. they take on these autumn colourings. Mm. I think and they're almost they're more beautiful back, dead than alive. So do mm. I. They're, they're less sort of blousy, if you like. That's right. Yeah, yeah but I think they look fantastic yeah. in autumn. It's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah, the oak leaf hydrangea too. I nearly brought some of that in this morning because yeah. that is, is looking good. It's got all those decaying flowers all over yeah. at the moment. It's just starting to turn a bit of colour. Yes. Yeah. And that, that does as, look really good as well. You don't have to cut everything back the moment it finishes flowering. No. As a maintenance gardener, I find it, I, I went and picked a whole lot of salvia. Uh, Lacantha, we were pruning my friend and I in, in her garden in Sydney and she, she sort of grabbed a handful that I knew she wanted to put in a vase and she put it in the vase and then I walked in and immediately started snapping off all the dead heads and she was like, 
whack. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, because I'm such a maintenance gardener, yeah. I, you know, drawn to it. But she actually wanted those dead, she wanted the dead right. spires, yes. you know, in yep. that arrangement. Yep. And I'm like, oh, mm. yeah, all right, point taken. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've had a query from Norelle in uh, Bayswater. Now, uh, this is about pruning of hydrangeas. She's aware that you meant to prune off the uh, the stems where the flowers have been, leave the uh, the stems that haven't flowered in that particular year mm. because that's where your flowers come next year she's mm. only concerned that um a lot of her stems that haven't flowered are very tall mm. well mm. i would say to narelle you've got to see it as a two-year process mm. you probably could take them back by one set of buds i reckon and get away with it and you should get flowering but uh, yeah i yeah i mean if you if, take your flowered ones right back down yeah. hard mm. then leave your tall ones till they've flowered the next year, then, of course, it's time to take those right back. You will get a much lower bush. It just doesn't look as neat, and that's probably what she's getting at. But it's only for one year. I know, because the new shoots come up quite quickly and fill those those spaces. They do. But when you first prune it, they look a bit... They do gangly look weird, they do and look a bit weird. odd. Yeah. So I think that's probably where she's coming from, that she's pruned it like that and is thinking, oh, my God, it looks horrible. It looks but terrible. But, you know, I mean, um, there is if, if you really don't like the look, just cut the thing back and yeah. know that you get beautiful, bold foliage. You're just probably not going to have any flowers. Yeah, or you get year. them later, don't you? You get, tend to get them later and maybe not as many. Mm. Yes. Yeah. 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 So but then, if then you want, it'll if, all rectify itself the following year. So mm. Yeah, providing you don't prune it to yeah. the ground again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. but, oh, but it's all tall again. That. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Maybe she needs a dwarf variety. I'm just I'm putting it out there. Yeah, no, fair enough. <laughs> okay, we're going to go to uh, Ken in Sunshine. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, everybody. Look, you horrified me when people spoke of eating small pips. I'll tell you a little story. My father had polio. And he loved eating grape pips and he loved eating orange pips. Mm. And, you know, small pips like that. Now, they they congregated in the side of his stomach and embedded themselves and he finished up losing half his stomach. Wow. wow. So I, that's immediately, I don't even swallow pips and I make sure I don't. <laughs> oh, so, I crunch them. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I don't them. know whether I'd even crunch them. I eat apples whole, only you leave yeah, the stick. Me too. Uh, I've always well, done that. Well, I think very carefully of doing it. I might have an X-ray. He was yeah. that. He was that. He was that bad. We thought he was going to die, and um, I mean, he had polio. But the mm. thing is, um, and it sort of, as he sort of went over, it, they probably went some side. But the thing is that, um, and embedded in the stomach. Wow. Um, I thought you were going to tell us. Even, he couldn't even lift up a cup of tea. When he got out of hospital, it mm. took him a long time to get over Wow. I'm going to do some research about that, Ken. Mm. I thought so, you were going to tell us they germinated in his tummy or something <laughs> else. But, uh, wow. No, no that I've never heard. Sorry. Go no, on. No, no, no right. I said I've never heard that before, so Well, there you go. I, that's the only one I've ever heard of, but mm. it's, it, it took him a long, long time to get over it. No, don't swap. Spitting sure pips is fun too. Pips. Actually, I did hear, I did hear, and I have no idea how true it is either. It could well be a, a, a myth. But I also heard that if you eat passion fruit pips, that it can it can um, potentially cause appendicitis. I'm going to take those truths because I hate them. <laughs> They're delicious. Passion fruits would be love, fabulous if there was no seeds. Yeah. I love passion fruit and I grew a passion fruit years ago and that will only last for seven years. And it was all over a shed. And, um, oh, it was just, 
I buried a, some rotten meat. And I'd, you could keep me awake at the night time growing. It was absolutely beautiful. I love passion fruit. Mm. But just another thing too, in a few weeks' time, um, we're going to have a big barbecue. We're, I live in Brimbank, and <clears throat> the council, which is a administrators, they're a dictatorship, they're closing up parks that are... Uh, they're closing up our park. Well, they tried to do it two years ago. They tried to cl- close, sell 24 off. And their house blocks, and this is a three-house block park, and uh, they're trying to, they're going to sell it off. Well, they're not because we're going to take the park over and have a sausage sizzle there and we're not leaving. So, so I'll keep you informed. It's a sausage sizzle I mean, in. It's absolutely horrible. What day is that, Ken? Well, we're going, we're going to have a, we're going to have a, um, a sausage sizzle on the 12th of April. At Brimbank Park? No, no, not Brimbank Park. They're not going to close that up. What, it's, it's, um, uh, it's called McCubrey Avenue. There's quite a number of parks that are two, two house blocks. Sure. This yes. happens to oh, be yep. three Little house parks. blocks. Yep. There's one where I grew up in Thornbury. Um, there's four parks, I think if my memory serves me correctly, that are two house blocks. And kids played football at wonderful parks. Yeah, well, you can't play on the roads anymore, so there's too well, many cars, these, so you've got to have these little parks. These criminals, and they're appointed by the Liberals, because um, uh, <clears throat> they sacked people that were there, um, and these people are... So anyway, yeah, but we're, we're going to sack on the blue, so I'll keep you informed, and once we get in the park, we're not leaving. Okay, good on you. You keep us informed, Ken. And I certainly will. Thank you very much. We've got to save our park. Stella. Yeah. Thank okay, you take your much. swag. Bye. Bye, Ken. I, I could handle a little camp out in a park. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go to Margaret, who's in Bentley. Good morning, Margaret. Oh, good morning, panel. Um, I have a, a weeping red tipped casuarina, which is a lovely, lovely tree, but the needles are driving me mad. Um, they form quite a blanket over everything. Is there another use for them? I mean, they're hard to break down. They take forever to break down. You can They'd be f- good under your strawberries as well, yeah. I yes, would have thought. Yes, very much They'd so. Excellent. You can I make a fungicide out of them. <laughs> I thought of the, the strawberries, but um, is there any other use at all? Or, um, to sort of build, build them into building... We live in that sandy strip, you know, around the bay... Um, would it, you know, help with the soil to retain the moisture? I think, um, I mean, anything that takes a longer time to break down, you know, you just probably need to mix them with a lot of green material. So, you know, a lot of lot of lawn clippings, put them in a manured compost. But, yeah, interestingly, you can boil them up and make a fungicide out of them. Oh. Um, it, it's, uh, I can't, I wouldn't tell you the recipe and how long, but you could certainly look it up because I can't offhand remember it. The other thing is I know that all the native orchid growers use them as as um, mulch on pots when they're trying to grow things like terrastylus. Mm. Um, they, which has had a name change, isn't it, the green hoods? Um, that they actually use them because they're really, um, I think they are a particularly good host for the fungi that are involved in the germination of or the, the shooting of mm. the, the tubers. So, I mean, whilst they're a, a byproduct and maybe they are a bit hard to grow other things underneath, um, mm. When you've got to see them, they um, yeah, they they just mix them up with lots of stuff if you want to compost them, um, or find your local native orchid group and drop off a bag. Yes, <laughs> offer them to them. Yeah. Mm. Yes, I shall. Mm. Oh, thanks for your help. Okay, Thank bye. You. Bye. You can use something. Everything has a use. Yeah, look, um, and this is a good example of this. Mm. This is a talbagia. 
um, society garlic. Yes. This one's called Dark Star. This flowers for about 10 months of the year, um, maybe mm. all year, mm. probably. So it's not the it's, variegated form that m- most people, it's almost more common the variegated form in nurseries now. Yeah, but well, this it is, is a nice green leaf. Yeah, 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 and it's a fine leaf. Yeah, um, and it is just such a winner. I got given it from a nursery um, a few years ago, and it was in the garden, yep. and uh, I just kept you know, ignoring it. Um, <laughs> And and it just kept growing and just kept flowering and flowering. And we're using it a lot in landscapes now. And we've used it, if anyone wants to see it, you know, go into the Kew Cemetery, into the mm. Burundara Cemetery, because we put big swathes of it in there. It is just fantastic. Mm. Well, do you know, um, in Templestow, they've actually got a whole roundabout planted with it. Yes. And it's just in flower the whole year. The whole virtually. year. It's unbelievable. It's extraordinary. And it doesn't get too high. No, So no. it's perfect. It's yep. just this sea of... Of mauve. Yeah, it, it is the most extraordinary plant. And, you know, they, the guys were in there the other day cutting it back and they were sort of going one one uh, stem, flower stem at a time. And I said, look, just mow them all off. Mm. Yeah. So they did. They just mowed them all off. And, and so they'll be back up in a week. Yeah. And they'll be flowering. And, yeah. You know, being an allium too, really good at bringing in beneficial insects. Like mm-hmm. this is um, – and the other thing about all of the Talbagia, and I, I assume it's the same with the cultivar, is they'll grow in water. And they'll grow oh, in grow dry. In they will grow as a semi-aquatic plant. Oh, I might try that. So, there's a pond. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a pond plant. So, I mean, it's just uh, they are extraordinarily adaptable. Yeah, and and we were in a, a, um, a restaurant the other day in Beaconsfield. It's a small restaurant run by young guys, and they had these flowers on as a garnish. Yes. Mm. And they are a terrific little flower as a garnish. Um, this little restaurant is fantastic. They're growing 70% of their own vegetables. Wow. So they're young guys. It's called Oh My. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got an acre of ground down in Clyde that they've got, and they've got a gardener down there who owns that land. Uh, and they've got a little garden behind the restaurant. And they've got another one uh, just across the road. He said, oh, I live over just over there, and I've got my gardens full of stuff as well. Oh, good on So you. their menu is is done essentially around what they have yes. in the garden. Mm. So and it's so it's degustation every time so that they can plan. Yes. Okay. They know what they can use That's and what right. they can do with so it. So we had, you know, a six or an eight course degustation and everything apart from the fish that was in there mm. was stuff that they had grown. That's oh, fantastic. So cool. It is so good, isn't it? It's it's um, you, it's amazing what's happened in, yeah, in ten years. Isn't yeah, it? so so quite and quite unusual things. So some mm. of it was a bit challenging, I must say, mm-hmm. but but interesting and nice. And the fact that they're growing it is a really cool concept. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a yeah. I mean, I kind of we we joke sometimes that the chefs have sort of come in on gardening, and that gardening <laughs> needs to kind of take a bit of ownership back, you know, of 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 its own, you know, stuff. But it's it's been interesting, you know. I've, I've met so many chefs that really started over here thinking they knew everything about it, and then when they really got into the heart of it and started to try, they realised how difficult it is. Mm. So I think you know I, I perpetuate the myth that it's easy to grow food because I'm trying to encourage people to have a go, but it's actually quite a tricky thing to do to grow a quantity 
of oh, yeah. food. Yeah. Particularly when you need yeah. in yeah. quantity and you need <laughs> to plan right. ahead what you mm. want with your menus. Mm. You know, right. we say grow grapes, it's yeah. easy, but really it's not mm. that. No. It takes work mm. and it takes attention to detail mm. and, and, and those sorts of things. So well, it's always fa- great to see chefs that are really living it. Yeah, the, well, the fella in the restaurant said, yeah, we employ two gardeners. Mm. Thought, How yep. many restaurants employ two gardeners? Exactly. It's a very small restaurant yep. mm. but, and you so say you have to book to get in there, but yep. it, just fabulous. Brilliant. Great concept. Brilliant. We have run out of time. I have to say a big thank you to uh, Jan and Liz who've been handling all the calls this morning. Also, of course, a big thank you to the team. Good to see you back, Evan. Good to see you, Pam. And, uh, of course, listeners, don't forget Mifka starts on Wednesday. That's Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show runs through until the Sunday. So... Um, if uh, I'm sure most of us are going to be out there at some stage I'm during the week. I'm doing a talk on Saturday at the Digger Stand at some time, I Okay. Think. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to see, seeing the Digger Stand. They're yeah. putting a lot of effort into it this yeah. year. Yeah. Okay. We must go. Of course, we'll be back at 7.30 next week. Until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.